Hello and welcome to The Current Thing with me, Nick Dixon, a.k.a. The Thinking Man's James Dellingpole, according to a recent review. So thanks for all your brilliant reviews, they've been awesome. And we have another top guest, Mr. Jeff Norcott. You'll probably know him already, he's a top comedian. Uh, thanks for doing this, Jeff. Well, no, it's um, the, what, uh, the Thinking Man's James Dellingpole. Yeah, yeah, that was the review. And the basic uh, premise was, it said, Nick presents a gentle and calm podcast. So you've got that to look forward to, Jeff. Free from over-polemical cant and ego. You know me, I'm just egoless. While clearly dismayed and even angry with the way society is being lost, he hasn't quite been fully red-pilled yet. And I thought, well, I have, but just in a different direction. I've been fully reactionary red-pilled, whereas Delingpole's been fully conspiracy red-pilled. So there's different red-pills. I, I was red-pilled, but then I think I might have taken a few blue pills. I don't know what pill I'm on at this point. You've ended up at purple. You've, you've, you've just yeah, settled so, at purple. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because who would you be the thinking man? I was thinking about this. I was like, who's Jeff the thinking man's? Is he the thinking man's Leo Curse? Is he even the thinking man's Nick Dixon? Because you're so smart about things. You don't go as far out as Nick Dixon, and you end up still able to do all these you know, sort of normal comedy industry things. Oh, come on, let's get straight to it, Nick. I know what you're saying. You're calling me controlled opposition. I get this from <laughs> you boys now. You're saying that I'm a pussy. You're saying that I've gone soft. You're saying I'm risk averse. And it is all true. And it's true. I definitely, I've definitely got less appetite for a row these days because I felt like I spent all my bullets. While you boys, you weren't even talking politics. Old Uncle Jeff from 2013 was on the front line of this shit falling out with colleagues, doing all the online spat stuff. And I thought, you know, it got to 2020 and there was a whole new generation of people willing to have those arguments. So I thought, my work here is done. <laughs> yeah, because cause you were a bit early to it. Like you say, I saw your show in Edinburgh the year before you went Tory, is how I might describe it. Like you had a show in Edinburgh. It was, it was a good yeah. show, but it was about you know, the Edinburgh Festival and it was about uh, just being a club comic trying to transition into... Being a sort of theatre comic. No, that was 2013, so I was already talking about it that year, yeah. Were you? Okay. And I had about 10 minutes, but I didn't have very good jokes. I was just like, it was more or less me going, I voted Tory, deal with that. And it was it was a bit shit, to be honest. But yeah, oh. it was about a 10-minute section of the show that year. Okay, so it was a little bit in that. In my mythology of you, you went from normal comic, and then the next year you came back as a sort of right-wing comic, and then the rest is history. But you're saying it's not quite as clean. No, no, it's not that. So I first started speaking about Leicester Comedy Festival 2013 in about the February, and that got nominated for Best Show. And then I just thought, well, I shouldn't improve any of that. I'll just say exactly what I said there at the Edinburgh Fringe, and it wasn't evolved enough. So the truth is I wasn't that good at it. Uh, Then I didn't go to Edinburgh in 2014. I went back in 2015 again. That we'd had the shock election result that wasn't a shock to anybody that pays attention in 2015. And, you know, everyone was shocked that the uh, charismatic world leader in waiting, Ed Miliband, wasn't our leader. Um, and, and, and there was a bit more interest. But the truth was, it was only really Brexit where the industry as such suddenly thought, oh shit, we might need to, we might need to speak to people from different views. Because the difference was with conservatism, you know, the conservative governments could get voted in on about 36 to 40% of the popular vote. 52%, it then sort of plays into who's watching us, we're missing out. I mean, it literally, probably, a lot of it simply comes down to fairly commercial concerns. And and I think that the smart people in television and radio saw that as, as, as a, 
a point in time, a watershed at which to open it up. Whereas, you know, some people sort of dug down the other way and hunkered down into echo echo chambers. So, so actually, the truth is, I was talking about politics for a long time. But there's two factors, Nick. One was that I wasn't very good at it for a long time, and and the other one was that no one really gave a shit till 2016. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Obviously, it became much more marketable because, mm. yeah, you sort of decided to start talking about how you were right-leaning to use one of your phrases from one of your tours or books what's it was it called right-leaning but well-meaning that was one of your yeah and I know a lot of people took the piss out of me about this title it was from a punter so a woman said I overheard a woman in an Edinburgh coffee shop and she was recommending my show and the woman said oh isn't that that, that awful man of work votes conservative and she said oh no he's right-leaning but well-meaning and I thought it was just funny <laughs> that she would have to sort of caveat it that that heavily so I called I called the next show that and then everyone presumed that I was implying that that you most right-leaning people weren't well-meaning. Whereas it was actually me taking the piss out of something someone else had said. That's amazing. It's very rare a punter gives you like a, such a good title that also rhymes. I mean that that's impressive. So yeah, mm. but, my, but in case anyone's I'm sorry, are you it, casting aspersions over the authenticity of my reported speech? No, no, I'm saying it's there. literally. It's just it's just a great. <laughs> it's falling in your lap. You're too paranoid, Jeff. You've been on Twitter too much. No, no, I, no, I'm no, on your I'm, side. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, mate, I'm not getting attacked on Twitter. Man. I don't, I don't say anything oh, yeah, uh, these days. I'm, I'm all about mainstream comedy clips on the on the Instagram and the TikTok. That's where the real action's yeah. at, mate. It's well, not in sort arguing. Of my, that's sort of my line of questioning because, um, mm. I mean, line of questioning is a bit bit aggressive, but that is my yeah. that's my line of question because you, in case the listener somehow lives in a cave and doesn't know, of course, my audience don't live in caves, but. Mm. But you, you basically are the one Tory comedian that's allowed, and it was, it was a brilliant niche mm. because even though, as your podcast is called What Most People Think, even though your views were just the majority of the country who had voted Tory at that time, a sort of moderate Tory is the majority mm. of the country. But yeah. in the comedy industry, this is a revelation because it's all so far left. They wheel you out as the kind of, we have a Tory, so we're doing our impartiality. We've got, we've got one now, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and it was interesting. You. Go on. Well, yeah, I mean, look, I won't deny it. it wasn't why I first spoke about it, but it was definitely, I couldn't be fatuous to say that it wasn't of use. And it's a strange thing. So, yeah, basically, as a straight white man in his mid-40s, I was suddenly like a diversity booking, which which no one <laughs> no, no one saw no one saw coming. Yeah, and it, you're right, it was kind of odd, that aspect of it. I remember I had one meeting where they said, we really want to start talking to alternative viewpoints. And I was like, by alternative, do you mean the majority? I mean, because that's what... It sort of speaks to a misapprehension. And I don't want to... The truth is, there are a lot of smart people in telly that do understand this. But it's like it's like when you change any kind of representation. What The question that you really ask was, why wasn't it there for so long? Because at the point where you want to change it, there's a tendency to overcorrect. So a good example of that is adverts. Now, you know, for a long, long time, there wasn't nearly enough people of colour in adverts. And now the advertising industry have pulled a handbrake term where, where they've gone the other way. And actually, what would have been better if the people in charge of those castings had just had a responsible level of representation going back a long way? So so overcorrection is, is always a thing in, in any form of entertainment. Yeah. And, but you're, what you're bringing at, and you're saying I'm calling it controlled opposition, you're able to do the mainstream comedy world that they would never allow me in, but they, they, you're still in that mainstream world. You do these sort mm. of shows. What was that show, The Green Room or something, where you're just hanging around in the green room with kind of woke comics? and uh, You're able to do shows uh, like that. Backstage with Catherine Ryan. That's the one. Yeah, I knew it was called something like that. So a completely yeah. different title. But you were in a green room. Yeah, that was the concept. But yeah, it was backstage with Catherine Ryan, and it was on Amazon. You were able to do things like this, and, and everyone likes you. Did you watch you. it? 
I watched uh, clips on them. On the, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't up. say like the show is especially woke. I mean, if anything, that my role in it was the thing that you know there was some blowback on it in terms of the things I was saying. So, and 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 I think that I just mean it had Nish Kumar in it. That's all I mean, really. <laughs> <laughs> you yeah, can I mean, exist they, in the realm with Nish Kumar, whereas I, I probably can't. He would never come into my realm. Well, the, I wouldn't be is, invited Nick, to like, his. In, in comedy, like the best thing to do is to just be what you are. And I am, I am a conciliatory person. You know, like I, even from when I was a kid, I remember when my mum and dad were starting to have the divorce. I was always the one trying to hold it together. So there's conflict, and I wanted to stand in the middle of those two things and make it better. And that is that's just a personality type, and that applies. I that's agreeableness. Prob- well, yeah, yeah. It's a pathetic need to be liked, but it's just there's a natural sort of sort of mediator in me. Mediator. That's the thing is that I, I, I sort of abhor any kind of certainty, right? So when the certainty was, was all oh, right wing people can't be funny and all Tories are evil, that, that bugs me because it's clearly an asinine thing to think, right? But then it goes to the other side where all, all left wing people, all left wing comedians are never funny or... They're all snowflakes, and, and that's not true either. So it's just a constant, you know, having been at the coalface of this argument for a while, you realise that it's just a constant process of, of overcorrection. And, and, and I do see that, you know, having taken on characteristics of the left on a show like Mash Report, there are things happening on the cultural right now which I think are, are equally risable. Like Like what? I just think like some of this stuff about drag queens. I personally, I don't get the big drag queen thing. I don't, I don't, if I had like a baby and I had sort of a thousand activities to do with a baby on a Sunday, I don't think taking them to see a drag queen would be up there. But equally, I, I don't know, like it just doesn't feel like one of the biggest issues facing Britain today. And yet for some people, um, it it ranks excessively highly. And we are seeing some cultural commenters on the right starting to almost resort to type whereby the, the old pearls are getting clutched a little bit um, once again. You know, there are aspects, I, I think more importantly, what kids are getting taught in schools about sex education and what age that's happening. That to me is a more valid territory to have a debate. You know, I think that the degree to which schools are parenting parents is fucking alarming but this this small group of middle class parents that are obsessed with taking their kids to drag i just i I just i find it strange i I think it's an unusual activity but i'm not massively exercised about it well the argument is that it's a sexualized performance you look at it and it clearly Mm. is and i believe in america one of them was had a prior conviction for molesting an eight-year-old i can't remember the exact details but that's my recollection I haven't heard anything about that in yeah, the Yeah, but what I mean is these are still, like, yeah, all of that stuff that you've just said is, is relevant. The sexualised thing of it is why I find it peculiar. But what I mean is if you're talking about sheer numbers, there just aren't, like, a wild, wildly high amount of people involved in this. But if you talk about the incursion from schools into how their kids are being parented and, and what value systems their kids are, are held, I, a lot of me, actually, the way I think is about numbers. You know, like, what, how many people does this affect? So, so while I recognise the drag thing it is an issue worthy of some debate, I find it odd that that, that sometimes comes higher in the ranking than the, the detailed sex education that young kids are getting. Yeah, it's a sort of lurid issue. It, you can put a video on Twitter, everyone can watch yeah. it, and it's sort of like, what's this? It's outrageous. Versus, as you say, the sex education stuff, which is happening in schools where they're teaching nine-year-olds about allyship and gender identity. They're teaching 12-year-olds mm. that some people enjoy rough sex. It's like, sorry, why is that being taught to a 12-year-old? And that's where you go, this is disgusting, and it's on a 
to use that word systemic level because it's throughout school education now. And then, yeah, if you've got kids especially, I mean, that must be a real concern. Well, yeah, there's words, you know, they come home and they just, they know words that you wouldn't have thought that they'd need to know at the the age that they're at. But it's that, that old phrase, it's, it's one, of the, one of the best, is it a proverb or a cliche? I don't know, but the road to hell is paved with good intentions, right? So the, um, bizarre things can happen when you think you're doing something for good, when you're convinced that you're doing something for good. You start off on this road of that you don't want people to feel shame about their bodies, right? Which is a great place to start. But you can end up with talking about choking people out during sex. and You know what I mean? That is the end destination. The starting point w- was a good place. But but once you... The, what I think society struggles with at the moment is, is, is sort of working out when we've actually resolved an issue or it's actually fine now or we've gone as far as we need to go. That's an issue, isn't it? It's like the reason the gender recognition certificate thing brought down Sturgeon was because they'd gone so much further than where most of Scottish society w- was ready for or needed. And and that, I think, is a general problem. Because so when you're engaged in, in teachings or, or, or discourse that makes you feel good about yourself as a person, it's another form of addiction. So when do you stop, right? You go, well, all right, well, well, it seems like we've covered that subject. Right, what's the next thing? There doesn't always have to be a next thing. Yeah, well, a couple of things there. I mean, one is in terms of pure numbers, I suppose the Isla Bryson case wasn't high numbers, but it was a flashpoint case because you get let in this, basically this bloke, Adam Graham, who's a rapist, change mm. his name, you've let him into a female prison, and it's basically ended Sturgeon's career, which is a, one good outcome from it. But yeah, your other question reminds me of Jordan Peterson because he's always asking when does the left go too far? We know when the right goes too far, it's pretty well established, but we mm. don't know when the left goes too far. And that's never really been adequately answered i think we're answering it now in society maybe it is teaching nine-year-olds about sex in schools that could be the answer but that we're sort of finding out now aren't we yeah yeah there was there was a thing that you just said that i oh fuck this is this is what it means being 46 and doing um because i recorded my own podcast today so my, my I, I, there's no chance of me getting that back nick just so you know this wasn't me playing for time <laughs> i know that is gone it was either about isla bryson or it was about when the left goes too far oh about- yeah 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 so isla bryson i mean what, what was slightly different about that is when you're developing policy actually the exceptions are really important in the same way that when universal credit was rolled out you know the the vast the, any examples of where people weren't getting paid money were valid examples right even if they didn't represent in anything like like a, a, a majority not even close to it because you're, this is this is these are the loopholes these are the things that you you iron out and 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 um, well you know in that case have been pointed out to people as a, as a potential um loophole not just of that policy by the way before people jump on me but a a, a sort of intrinsic issue with self-identification and um and yeah that that was that was a really interesting cultural point wasn't it like because you Statistics and law are very hard things to conceptualise, but the simple idea of a man who is a rapist being in an all-female space, I think the public can get their head around that. Yeah, yeah, and that was just the the final straw for so many people. Um, Yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking about, would you vote Tory again? I know that's a a slight curveball from what we were talking about, because um, Mm. you've sort of made your name now as a the Tory comedian, the one that we're allowed on on any show. But would you actually vote for them now at this point? Probably if there was an election well I didn't vote for them at the last local elections. Because the I'd link stro- is they've let all this happen. In, except in Scotland obviously, but in general yeah. they've presided over all these things. You know, we've just had the buffer zone vote go through where I was talking to Lois McClatchy about it on another podcast, but now they've put it through on a national level where you'll be banned from silent prayer in your head 
within near abortion clinics. I think we talked about it briefly on your podcast, but now they've put that law through. And that's another law that's happened under a Tory government, you know, thought crimes coming into legislation. So that's just one example mm. of, we could cite so many examples of how the Tories have done nothing well, over 12 years. Yeah, and the thing is, I'm like the socially liberal wing of the Conservative Party. It's more the fiscal elements that appeal to me, but they haven't delivered on those either. I mean, right. there's this incredible irony that the this, this Conservative Party and in recent years have probably put more money directly into the pockets of the British public than any government in history in this country and the perception is is that they're mean and, and that they're and they're cruel which is a failure on their part for the for the communications and also the the sort of personal errors and the scandals and stuff like that but yeah you know they are they've raised taxation um if you look at even on like um sort of uh people independent traders you know sole traders entrepreneurs you know limited companies they've made it harder to do business, they made it less appealing to do business. So, so on every sort of front of, of what the Conservative brand should deliver on, they've under-delivered. The problem is, is the only other option are the Labour Party. And on all of those metrics, you'd think that the Labour Party would come in further away from what I think uh, is appropriate. Although, uh, you know, one thing Starmer has done well is he's at least given the impression that he might not, but I, I, I think that that's largely for the purposes of winning an election. I don't think that's baked in to the Labour offer yet. Yeah, he says the odd the odd sort of patriotic thing here and there, or take back control was right or something. But yeah, it means nothing. But this reminds me, Jeff, of a question very much related. One of my favourite questions on the podcast, is the country finished? Because when you talk about tax, so many people are leaving. I keep hearing this thing. If, you, if you're under 40, there's no point staying in Britain. Basically, everyone's leaving. And I'm thinking, like, if you're over 40, it's not great either. It's like, I don't know why 40 is the cutoff. But people are mm. just leaving. The tax is so high. They can't get property. We've obviously got mass immigration issues, illegal immigration issues, strikes. One could go on. And I sort of, a lot of people think, a lot of people, whether they're engaged really in politics or not, mm. I've noticed just think the country it's basically finished and they, they talk about leaving or they just think, well, I have to stay, but it's over. What do you think? Well, I think that that is a reactionary sentiment. Britain is, Britain's never done. You know, Britain has the fundamentals of what makes this country a good country would always be there, ready to be reshaped at some point, right? If you look at people thought that during the 70s, you know, they thought that during the 50s, there will always be a, a renaissance of, of, of some kind. But the, you, what you say about rich people leaving, like, I don't give a fuck about rich people per se, um, I don't give a fuck about corporations making more money. What I do give a fuck about is um, is a vibrant economy, economy that creates jobs for people. I think that's one of gov government's main roles, right? Sorry, I know this podcast is quite heavily political, like big P political, is, is have enough jobs for people, right? And ironically, that is actually something the Conservatives have delivered on, but been singularly unable to make capital on it. Um, and, but, but I know two people two couples that are doing very well for themselves that are leaving the country within the next six months. Um, you know, with the corporation... Can you say where they're going to go? Are they going to go to Dubai or Australia? That seems to be the yeah, main Yeah, yeah, it's not, it's, not, it's, not it's not another country in Europe because that is frying pan fire when it comes to tax. But, um, but yeah, they're, they're going to countries. I don't think they're going there because of the tax situation, but I think that that's a factor, right, where you go, look what we could have there versus what we could have here. And then, so, so that is, it's just a question of what the, um, the exodus of people like that does for the country at large. Because it's so easy, isn't it, to say tax the rich? like crank up corporation tax. They, you, I, even I, when I say that, it actually feels great because it's, it's a good populist <laughs> sentiment. But if they all go and the, and the country has less money, 
afterwards, then it was it was self defeating. Really, you have less money for all the things that you want to make a good society. Yeah, it never works. And I'm not even talking about the rich in this case. I'm just talking about young people looking for opportunity. I keep hearing that they're leaving because they can't get property. You know, the tax is brutally mm. high, especially with inflation adding to that. So I just hear they're leaving. I mean, I can't really leave because GB News is here. Plus, I'm, mm. I, as I said on other podcasts, I, I got skin cancer in Dubai. I'm not really someone who can cope with the sun. And I'm just going to stay here and just. Is there a know. GB News in another country? Like another country with beginning with G and B? Like. Do you brought the news, is it? <laughs> yeah, maybe we could set one up. That would be good. I mean, it's probably we can't really... I doubt you could move either. I mean, could you move? You could do your tours somewhere move. else? I love this country. I really do. I, re- I like living here. I like the culture of it. I like the way it looks. I like the four seasons. And I, you know, I haven't travelled loads. Nick here with a very quick interruption from our loyal sponsor, Thor Holt. So in 1948, Winston Churchill said, those that fail to learn from history are doomed to repeat it. And in 2012, Christine Paris said... Thor demonstrates high professional standards to help his clients achieve their greatest potential. He went above and beyond to ensure his schedule aligned with mine, regardless of time zone differences. Thor is consistent, dependable, and accurate in carrying out his responsibilities to a successful conclusion. The bottom line, Thor is a preeminent authority in his field. If you have an opportunity to connect with him and learn from him, you'd be wise to capitalize on that. So Christine was VP of Regulatory Compliance at Assurant Miami when she wrote that. And in 1898, Churchill, after cavalry charging with the 21st Lancers, remarked, Nothing in life is so exhilarating as to be shot at without result. So if you'd like to hear why a Miami cabbie threatened to shoot Thor with a taser en route to meeting Vice President Christine, connect with him at linkedin.com slash in slash Thor Holt and mention tasers. Even if you don't want to hear that taser tale, act now because success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts. And that's our man Winston Churchill again. Thor loves his Churchill quotes. And you can connect with him on linkedin.com slash in slash Thorholt, T-H-O-R-H-O-L-T, and thorholt.substack.com. Speak to him to find out what he is all about. Because some of his adverts, I think, are a little bit sort of oblique. And you think, what does Thor actually do? But they work for him. I've worked with him, and Thor will help you on all kinds of things like salary negotiation or maximizing your business, life coaching. He pretty much does everything, Thor. So make sure you get in touch with him, or at very least check out his Substack at thorholt.substack.com. Very entertaining and interesting. All right, let's get back to the show with Jeff. I've travelled I've travelled enough to come to a view. I just, I just really like it here. I think it's got so much to offer. And and it's just it's just a case of whoever's in government needs to sort of marshal the fundamentals, right? It's like brewing beer. For beer only has four ingredients, right? And what you've got to do is, is manage those to, to best effect. And I think that... The biggest problem in this country, particularly over the, since the Brexit vote, has been firefighting and short-termism. The combination of rolling news and social media. Social media politically came into its own after the Brexit vote. Um, I don't think governments are equipped to, to, to take anything beyond short-term decisions. Because they're scared. they're scared. They think that they might. I mean, when Boris won his majority in 86, we all thought, right, Boris and Dom... They're not even going to fucking read the focus groups. They're going to they're going to delete social media off their phones. And of all people, they were the worst. They were constantly looking at which way the wind was blowing. Uh, and I found that disappointing. I mean, if one thing you'd say about, you know, the early Blair years, they had a lot of focus, right? They did hard things early on, which is impressive. Same with Cameron, you know, and the coalition is that they did what they thought, you know, people have their own views about austerity, but they thought that was the right thing. And they did hard things for the future. Right, which made them politically very unpopular. In that mid-parliament period, 
They were behind loads in the polls to Labour, but they felt that, that getting the country's finances correct was the right thing. You don't get the sense that any either of the two main parties just have the fucking fortitude to dig in for something that they think is, is right. You know, I... Yeah. And in, in Boris's last speech in the Commons, he actually said it's not about Twitter. You know, don't look at Twitter, but they, they all do. And um, when you talk about the fortitude, I mean, one example springs to mind is this boats thing. We've got the illegal immigrants coming over on this. Mm. called the small boats problem, if you're not familiar with this, um, if you're mm. not in this country, perhaps. And this is a big thing. They can't even get a simple policy done, which is let's not have illegal immigration. And then Gary Lineker yesterday compared it to the Nazis the way that the government were talking about it. Now he's in trouble, yeah. probably won't get any in trouble because he's untouchable. But isn't that incredible? Mm. You're just trying to enact a simple policy. I don't know where you stand on the, on the boats, but you, well, you know, and you can't even do that. I mean, the, the Rwanda flight couldn't go, you know, that got the, the European court, whatever, stopped it. And then the, the airline wouldn't even do the flight. So we, we've had all these ideas to try and get rid of the illegal immigrants. Mm. We can't even get rid of illegal immigrants, Jeff. So how can the, any party do anything? Um, I think that it is, I think the reason why we're talking about Gary Lineker is because people on both sides of this argument know that it's really fucking hard to resolve one way or the other, right? It's really hard. Um, I think that there were aspects of the announcements, the thing about modern slavery laws, that was a... That was mental. Yeah, that was way too... That, that's, not the, that's not the kind of society I, I want to live in. I don't, I don't even get it. What? So you've been trafficked here. So, well, you, you, you've only got... I don't even understand the logic of it. Well, you've only got yourself to blame. I mean, that's the opposite of what happens when... You get trafficked. So, it just seemed like I, shocking messaging. It, just in case the listener doesn't know, Rishi Sunak put out this thing about illegal immigration and the, the picture said, if you come to the UK illegally, you will be denied access to the UK's modern slavery system. You're like, hang on, we're, we're running a slavery system. It's yeah, I know, it didn't messaging. even make sense. Or is it the protection? Bring Dominic of Cummings what? back. I mean, it's such a bad advert. It, yeah, and it, and it morally didn't sit right with me. I think on the other hand, I think somebody like Gary Lineker, I mean, basically... He wants to express himself. So I would say, if you, if that's how you feel, don't sign a contract which sort of prohibits it. That would be the first thing. Uh, the BBC, they they need to cut budget, right? He gets paid a lot of money to basically say, oh, now the, now the highlights from the King Power State. He doesn't do a lot <laughs> for, for the money. So the next step feels really obvious, which is just fucking go your separate ways. But this is why I think Lineker has sort of got addicted. Because when you get like thousands of tweets a day saying, Gary, you're a hero, you're sticking up, you know, it, it can't help but change your sense of self. So in a normal sort of work cycle, he, he would just sort of do the sensible thing, go and get paid more money at another broadcaster and say whatever the fuck he wants, right? But because he's Gary Lineker now... I think he wants he wants the drama of being sacked. I think that that's what he's digging in for because he knows mm. that if the BBC do sack him, uh, think places like Sky News, Channel Four, um, that they'll lose their they'll lose their minds, right? Um, even though the obvious thing is for him to just go and work for someone else. Um, LBC it, is the obvious. Go to LBC. Finally, he can express his views, and lo and behold, they're exactly what we always knew they were. Just do an Emily Maitlis. You know what I mean? The people like, I mean, probably the last thing people on your podcast will want to get, hear is me defending the BBC, but the BBC are in a really tricky position, right? And if people if people do think that it's outrageous that the Lineker's being censored in this way, I mean, I've sat on the BBC diversity panel, you know, it's all part of my controlled opposition uh, uh, work shadowing, and, and they are losing the, you know, working class uh, audience, right? And one of the reasons they're doing that is because the working class audience think that 
everyone that works at the BBC holds basically one set of political beliefs. And and so every time Lineker does this, all, so all their other big names are actually playing ball to an extent, but Lineker's not. So what will eventually happen is some of the other bigger names will go, well, if he gets to, you know, it's like being a teacher, isn't it? Well, if, if she's smoking their blueberry vape at the back of the classroom, why can't I? And and that will be the, so. I think the BBC are probably in an impossible situation where there's only one. There's only one of two things now. Uh, you know, they sort of probably have to sack him, but the blowback is going to be immense. Yeah, um, it's. What I was going to say about that, Lineker. Yeah, Lineker. He's just he's so annoying. He, he had a tweet today, as you say, saying thanks for all the support and love. So for mm. all the hate you'll get, of course, he'll get a lot of people who love what he says as well. God knows who these people are. What is the BBC diversity panel? Well, I mean, I was part of it a few years ago and, it, you know, it was part, they realised that, I guess that the one kind of, di- if diversity was to give people, disadvantaged people more of a voice at the BBC, right? So it's race, gender, sexuality and disability. One of the things that disadvantages people is class, right? So they realised, a couple of, again, smart people, they realised that this is, you know, this is, if you say, for example, if you're a white working class boy, you absolutely, straight white working class boy would absolutely fall through the cracks of all of those things, even though, you know, they had disadvantages in life. So they wanted me there to represent a view on things. And, you know, we had a lot, of, we sat on a lot of panel chats and, and there's actually good initiatives that, that are starting now. And, and, you know, this bringing the BBC closer to communities, more things happening in different areas, that's all part of that. And, you know, and outreach programmes. I mean, one of, one of my, my big things was just to make working class people in schools aware that it's not, when you think, like, would you like to work for the BBC? A lot of people might think, oh, it's all in front of the camera or being a presenter. But just, you know, proper physical jobs like... Um, you know, operating the boom or being a, a cameraman or, you know, there's a, I think that it's their job to let people know all the variety of different jobs that can happen in that organisation. So you can still be working in entertainment. You might, you, you just might not be the face. And, and, and that, and that bit by bit changes the culture, right? It moves it away from being sort of this homogenous kind of liberal middle class um, um, perception that people have today. Well, I'm always trying to be very fair to the BBC, believe it or not. I always say on GB, look, I know people at the BBC, which I do, who are trying to be very fair. And they do get annoyed when people in front of the camera sometimes say these stupid things. And they think, well, we're trying yeah. so hard to be impartial. And they work behind the scenes and they're editors and things like this. And they're going like, oh, what are you doing? So, and they have criticisms of the BBC, plenty of them. I mean, no one there seems particularly happy with the way it's running. So there's plenty of criticisms. So there, there, but, I mean, one thing I would say, I mean, that point you make about the frustration, if you really care about the BBC, this is what's interesting, is the people that claim that they really care about the BBC also are the people that are egging on the likes of Lineker to carry on saying stuff like that, which will in turn mean the audience continues to drift away. The less audience you have, you're more on the back foot in negotiations with the government, you have less of a platform. So if you really cared about the BBC, actually, I think that I think you'd understand why they need their household names to, to at least the line of, of, of at least a decent level well at least not compare stuff to nazi germany how about that yeah <laughs> let's just start there. let's just start there i mean there's a golden rule isn't there you mean, there's a meme isn't there like um, compare stuff to nazi germany don't do it or definitely don't do it i mean it's just it's never the go-to analogy and what i find annoying is that it never occurs to people how offensive that is in the jewish community right for a start and you get the impression that some of those celebrities would wouldn't dare um, make an analogy between other, you know, historical uh, um, sort of, sort of disgraceful acts against people from other racial groups and 
and other sort of Holocaust type endeavours by totalitarian regimes. But it's just for some reason, that's the fucking go to. Yeah. And it's that meme, everyone I don't like is, is literally Hitler. But um, yeah. it, it's, it, it's funny if it happens the other way around. Andrew Bridgen, who we've had on this show, famously you know, compared the vaccine rollout to the worst crime since the Holocaust, got in a lot of trouble for that. There you go. You know, was kicked out, basically, because of it. You can get away with it a bit more on the, on the, on the Lineker side, but maybe not. Maybe, he, maybe it's changing a bit, or maybe he's just gone too far. And when it mm. comes to BBC... Well, they just the thing they need to do is just stop thinking that everyone with a different opinion is is evil or or, or a conspiracy theorist, and it's not helping people like this Mariana Spring who keeps popping up. She's a disinformation and social media correspondent. What is a disinformation correspondent? And Elon Musk was sort of like replied to her and things, and it sort of kicked off. But you have people mm. like this, and it just winds people up. They they're saying that anything that we don't agree with is disinformation. Well, the problem is disinformation correspondent. It almost sounds like the UK slavery system. It sounds like your job is to just make shit up. <laughs> Which just, it kind of is, with people like yeah, that. Yeah, to just go on there and start and start riffing. Um, yeah, I, I mean, it, that is the problem, isn't it, with, with fact-checking and that concept, is that who, who facts-checks the fact-checkers? I mean, one of the things I think in the UK in terms of broadcasting that I've always been fascinated with, but I think that they, they sort of get away unscathed, is, is Ofcom. You know, Ofcom have huge, huge power, and they decide when words are... Uh, um, beyond the pale and, 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 you know, things that you literally shouldn't say on television. That, to me, that's a massive amount of power in British society. Yet the process by which Ofcom get their power, right, the old Tony Benn principle, you know, what's your power, how did you get it, and how can I take it away from you? Totally opaque. It's totally mm. opaque. I wanted to do a bit on Mass Report years ago about who Ofcom's Ofcom. Um, <clears throat> and then, you know, it would be who Ofcom's the Ofcom the Ofcom's. You know, I mean, there, there would say, certainly be several, several layers, but... But yeah, that is a very, I do think that that is a very sort of technocratic view, isn't it? That, that, that eventually you get to a point where there's an objective group of people that should probably be able to have a final say on stuff. I said, a- it, I said it the other day on a show, well, it was actually Lawrence Fox's show, which I almost hesitate to say because I mean, I can't imagine anyone hated more by the comedy world than that. But uh, I said on there, who watches the Watchmen was the phrase I use, very similar. Mm. Why did Ofcom get this power? GB's had obviously well, well publicized problems with them, you know trying to work within Ofcom, it's difficult. And it, it's bound to be a reflection of where the Overton window is to some degree. It's bound to be an illusion of neutrality. What is neutrality and who gets to decide? You know, the only thing you can, mm. we can probably agree on is that if you say something, I push back and say the opposite opinion and we arrive at some sort of basic neutrality. But the idea that there's a neutral that can be imposed by somebody, very, very suspicious to me. I don't really believe in that idea. And I think if you're dealing in the realms of opinions that are widely held and quite transparently um, held by reasonable people, you know, sometimes in the part, if you look at the gender critical argument, there was a point at which there were views that I, thankfully I think it's got better now. But, you know, the, even the questioning of the principle of immediate self-identification was at one point a controversial view, you know. Even if you'd have put that to the British public... You know, you'd have got, you would have seen a much more uh, a split that probably favoured um, gender critical views. There was a there was a time when people were scared to express um, those views. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it reminds me, and this, I really wanted to ask you about this of the lockdown files and lockdowns. Of course, and, well, of course, we had the COVID lab leak theory where you weren't <laughs> you weren't allowed to question that, and then it was like, no, it's obviously from a lab. But now we're seeing with the lockdown files, 
things were pretty much as the skeptics were saying they were just making this stuff up the restrictions were arbitrary authoritarian nonsense but where did where did you stand on lockdowns at the time and where do you mm. stand now having seen the lockdown files in the telegram um, so at first I, I was in a deluded state where i thought britain would never ever lock down we'd never do that in this country so i was in shock for the first bit of it um you know, even in the first one, I, I thought too long and too hard, you know, which I think I, I, I can't I can't see, you know, most sensible people would have to think that, 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 that they were too, they were at least too strict. Any any lockdown, you can't say goodbye to dead parents. Probably a little bit on the, you probably might have gone a little bit too far. Then when the Delta variant came, the, the one that was before in the November, that just seemed fucking pointless on every level. Um, then, then the Delta variant come around and the numbers were genuinely troubling. So I, I sort of moved a bit with... With that, I think looking back, I think that I understood that the moderate position was probably to have some sort of lockdown, but they were definitely far too long and far too strict. And what we're seeing now is that um, people, some people, savoured that power to a quite irritating level. Um, also, you know, if you look at the decision that was made regarding face masks with kids in schools, that was done to placate or avoid a political row of Nicola Sturgeon. I mean, that for me is probably the most dismal example, uh, when it involves like making children wear masks in schools to avoid a political... Even though you know, they obviously knew that it would have a negligible positive impact, right? It was a perfect example of this thing of not being able to even reckon with the medium term, let alone the long term. Everything was a day-in, day-out process uh, of, of firefighting. You know, you kind of look at the fact that most of the Western world had lockdowns, so, you know, it would have been... I just don't know if you could have done... I mean, if if we'd have avoided them here, the, the noise of the screeching from GMB at the time, who were particularly hot on this, and social media, I just... I, I don't know how any government could have withstood that. So there is a complicity, I guess, with the media around that time. Because when they questioned journalists, the questions were almost never, um, should we definitely be doing this? It was, should we, or it was always, are we doing this enough? And should we make it sooner? harder? Yeah, should it be sooner? Yeah. Should it be harder? Should it be longer? I know. It's should it sooner, harder, longer? I know. It's disgusting. And the fact that Slacky and Lee were in charge of that mass decision, you know, who are these? A couple of chances. One bloke addressed as a chicken to, to annoy David Cameron. James Slack and Lee Kane, they were the ones that were saying, oh, I'm not sure about the mass thing. You, you might be too far ahead of public opinion. So in other mm. words, we, we can't get rid of mass in schools because Slacky and Lee have decided. I mean, why are they deciding anything? They sound like they're just lads in the football team. It's, it's absolute nonsense, isn't it? And Slacky. It's, I know, yeah. It sounds like someone on I your mean, Patreon. You always read out names on your, on your podcast for your patrons. It's always like Slacky and Lee. They could be a couple of your patrons. Well, no, you know what they sound like? They sound like, do you remember when they used to do the closed room auditions on X Factor? They sound like a really shit duo that got put through to live finals just for shits and giggles. Yeah, just the laugh. And at shits them. and giggles were another double act that got put through <laughs> yeah. as well. Slacky and Leaf. Next up, shits and giggles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we just get to. Yeah, I mean, the other thing you said that we never go into lockdown, and you were wrong about that. Yeah, uh, Lord Sumption's on a lecture about this, which I've yet to watch, which Toby sent me yesterday, the Robert Menzies lecture, but it's about how we lack this cultural checks on this anymore like we, we used to just have a sort of general understanding of what we were as a country that we wouldn't do that kind of thing and what we learned mm. there is that that's gone now there is no check on that we don't have a sense of civil liberties we don't have a sense of free speech and actually what we saw from from people like hancock was just knee-jerk authoritarianism without any mm. qualms and boris with some qualms but being bullied into it and and hancock and and uh, simon case and all these people no qualms at all about just immediate knee-jerk authoritarianism. 
Well, I think power definitely is exciting. That's one thing I've learned. I mean, the fact that I think that female politicians don't you've learned that in the BBC be... diversity panel. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, well, I think female politicians, the degree to which they're able to walk away from the job could be seen as a number of things, but maybe it suggests that it doesn't do the same thing for them. But you you look at Trump, you look at Boris, you look at male politicians, how their fingernails are sort of like marks left on the desk as they're trying to be pulled away. And I don't know if it does something different for blokes. Maybe it unleashes more powerful erections or something, but it certainly plays to something fundamental in them. So I can guess that, you know, like there's that old thing about, what was it Napoleon said? It was, I spend 10,000 men daily, you know, like this casual thing about how many people die because of his wars. But I reckon he had a semi on when he said that. And I reckon, you know, there was a, you got the sense of these lockdown leaks that that people were um, uh, savouring it a little bit too much. The only thing I would say is, I totally get why a scoop journalist would put this in the public domain. This isn't the best way for us to encounter this information because, that it does lack a bit of context because it's a news agency, a news organisation that are circulating it. It's obviously cropped and presented in a certain way. So some of it is a bit context-free, I think. And and I just want a fair hearing. I, I, I really got any space for the titillation element of it, actually, because we spent a whole year talking about Partygate. I think the public have heard and said everything on that score. What I want is a cold, hard analysis of... Who took the decisions? Why did they take the decisions? And were they good decisions? Sorry to interrupt the podcast, everyone, but we have a special offer from our sponsor, Harry Willis. Now, Harry is a men's online fitness transformation and health coach. He's a regular writer for the international fitness brand TechnoGym. And Harry designs a bespoke plan for your workouts and diet and works one-on-one with you the whole way. He doesn't just email you a program and let you get on with it. And he's offering a zero-obligation 45-minute free consultation, but also he's guaranteeing that when you sign up, you'll lose five kilograms in your first five weeks or he'll coach you for free until you do. Just quote the current thing when you make contact. So get in touch with Harry at Instagram at Harry underscore Willis or his website www.willis-coaching.com W-I-L-L-I-S-coaching.com and I've seen the results he gets and they're pretty great. And actually, some people say, well, do you even do personal training, Nick? And I do, but I've not been doing the diet bit, which is why you probably can't tell. So I need to go to Harry as well, because he does the whole thing, guys. So get in touch with Harry, Harry underscore Willis, WillisCoaching.com. And he'll, he's guaranteeing that you'll lose five kilograms in your first five weeks. And now back to the show with Jeff. One thing very interesting there, two things. You said that women are maybe less bothered, you know, corrupted by power. That's quite interesting because Helen Waitley was one of the few people saying, um, can we stop this? It's inhumane. And Hancock was going, no, no, I've got my target of 100K tests and I'm an opportunist mm, idiot. His fucking target. I know, his target. But the other thing, I mean, you're far more generous than me on these lockdown files, Jeff. And when you say we need the context, I mean, we can see Hancock there saying, frighten the pants off people. It's right there in text. Do we need much more context than that? Well, I guess I guess if somebody had said before that if somebody was presenting him with information saying that if we don't get some kind of lockdown happening, these this is the amount of people that could die, for for example. So if he is responding radically to a fairly dismal set of stats or a fairly ominous view of the future, that's the only look. In the case of case of Hancock, I absolutely think that he probably was just enjoying the moment. But I, I yeah, I I just want. I want an inquiry. I want this done in the cold, hard light of day because then I think that the, 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 the stories that come out, they won't be framed as much, if you know what I mean. Okay. Well, because we've got limited time, I really want to ask you, and it's just a hard, hard left turn, but, but 
do you think will wokeness end soon and or how do we win the culture war? and i asked that I asked that was you know knowing you're not quite as sort of dug in as some of us into the culture mm. war. I mean, you know, the fact that you've been your moderate response to lockdown files probably shows why you're still on the BBC. You're a more moderate kind of person, but but you yeah, probably just, yeah, still generally. want wokeness to end. I imagine. I mean, or how, how do you, or do you? I mean, how do you see this culture war? Do we win well, it? Uh, Are you in it? Well, it's, it, I think that the framing of it as a culture war is it, it leads to the idea that it could be one, whereas actually it's a perennial struggle between two sets of ideas, right? Conservatism and progressivism, neither of which are inherently bad or good, right? Both are capable of bad things. What happened, I think probably from around 2017 to around uh, mid-2022, was that one side seemed to have the whip hand in terms of having the governments here, corporations, you know, broadcasters, to such a point that it wasn't helpful for society. You want progressivism, right? You want those big kind of hard-won free... No, I know you're shaking your head, Nick, but <laughs> there are there are certain things that whereby, you, you know, you, that's how sometimes oppression ends or you emancipate people. So that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it's like it's what I'm always suspicious of is overcorrection. And then what tends to happen is when one side are in the ascendancy... They can't really deal with the power and they start routing the other side. You, you know, and it, so it happened with, I would say, a good example of that was put, pulling down statues. That's a routing of the opposition. That's you're so emboldened that you don't think you're, you're subject to criminal law or cultural kind of uh, uh, accountability in some respects. I mean, Extinction Rebellion might be a good example of it too. But then what you'll have on the other side now is, is as in terms of the trans debate, is as the gender critical side gets more of a foothold, you see some people, I've certainly seen some people who are routing the opposition and being cruel, you know? And and, and, and that, so I, I'm always in the middle mediating. And just, it, it's, you know, it's, it's, like, it's, like, it's like the Jedi and the Sith, isn't it? You don't want it all Jedi, they're sanctimonious pricks. But you don't want it all Sith either. Well, I tend to think that progressivism is always bad, and I tend to even think liberalism is probably inherently flawed, but I haven't read enough books to prove it. I just listen to other people say it, and they go, yeah, like, you well, know... Well, I mean, you and I can vote because of progressivism. Now, yeah, that but, might be a, a, pro, a pro or a con. Yeah, maybe we shouldn't be able to. I mean, when you say you maybe, and me, yeah. it used to be, didn't it? Until 1918, if you were a man, you had to be over 30 and own yeah. property. So you could probably, I mean, you could still vote. I mean, my, whether I own property is a bit ambiguous, but um, there's probably but before that you had to be a lord, or you know, like there's, there was a point in history where the the, the 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 general population didn't get to vote, and the idea was that that's a bit harsh. Um, so shall we e- e- emancipate them? But yeah, no, I do. They might have been right though. They might have been right. Which might... Maybe we shouldn't vote. I mean, we had to fight the first world war for for ordinary men to get the vote. But maybe we should just just have it. You know, if you had the elites mm. voting, the only thing is they wouldn't be as influenced by like look at the lockdowns. We had this thing where people wanted harsher lockdowns. Maybe they only wanted that because of government propaganda in the first place. But you wouldn't yeah. have had that. You know, the, if the, if only the, if people didn't have a vote, you could just ignore them. <laughs> well, I mean, that's an interesting point because when you talk about the government, uh, the lockdowns, which I definitely think were at the very least too long and too strict. They were actually a compromise position between what it seemed the majority of the British public wanted, right? So what the government were doing, there was always people that were screeching for more. I mean, it is astonishing that even now, 
you know, regular YouGov polling suggests that 20% of people still think nightclubs should be shut forever, right? There is, I think, still around 15% of people that think we should have a permanent 10pm curfew, right? So, you know, and, and but there was there were there was times when those numbers were so heavily against simple. I mean, the polling on whether or not the school should reopen was almost always over fifty percent. And that, out of everything, if I have one regret, the one thing that I'm fucking ashamed of as a society is that we shut the schools not once but twice. I just can't get past the fact that we did that. It's disgusting, and we see now you know, with with the messages how it, how it all went down. And Gavin Williamson wanted to keep them open but he didn't manage to you reminded me i was going to ask you about the sunday times poll that we just came out it is a yougov mm. poll so we have to say mm, questionable because they seem to be a bit dodgy but with their polls but it said 30 i think it was 39 percent said lockdowns were not strict enough 34 percent about right 51 percent mm. of 18 to 24 year olds said they were not strict enough what is going on? Um, I mean, still with these lockdown files well, out. And an even bigger majority of Labour voters, well, that's what's astonishing, is Labour voters felt that the Tory government should have had more powers and should have locked us down more. And and, and is that problem on the left, whereas as much as my own political character increasingly becomes not non-binary as such, but I, I think I'll always <laughs> be of the right. You know, I'm small state, low tax, lean benefits, right? So that would always put you on the right. But... But one thing that I find really off-putting about the, the left is, is the embrace of authoritarianism. I cannot, you know, that's a fundamental for me, is that is that your human being should be as free as possible for as long as possible. So the idea that you're just literally like this weird form of BDSM going, go on, lock me down harder. Oh, it's not hard enough. That just, it's such a, such a, it such, feels like such a weak place to, to, to come from. Um, and so I find that, I find that odd about, I mean, obviously, it's not all Labour voters and not all lefties, in fact. There was quite a strong, actually, actually, a lot of the anti-lockdown movement was coming from very old-fashioned sort of left-wing positions. But there are just far too many people who voted Labour think that we should have been locked down for longer. Yeah, Owen Jones said at the time, like, oh, it's, you know, weird that I'm asking a, a far-right government to lock me down. Is it, yes, that is weird. I mean, you've got to, at that point, look at some of your assumptions. Mm. Maybe the government's not as right-wing as you think or not right-wing at all. Maybe lockdowns are bad. Like at that point, don't you have to look at some of your assumptions that you're a far lefty who wants a government you believe is hard right to lock you in your house? Don't you have to just look at your whole world? Well, it's, it's at just because of simplistic notions of kindness, isn't it? And 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 kindness often, just like government policy, kindness can either operate on a short, medium, or long term policy. And and in the short term, it'll always be you know it will always lead to a logic of well one death is too many, which is a ridiculous starting position, or zero COVID, you know. Yeah. And so the, the, there were too many people that didn't have an ability to reckon reckon with. They didn't think about the kindness of interrupting children's education. That's what I find so weird. Yes. I, I, I mean genuinely, the more even the, it's not it's something that gets more confusing to me um, over time. That if you look at vulnerability. Uh, and also, you know, the same sort of cohort of people that, that routinely are dismissive of older people and boomers. They had all the opportunities. They had all the, they sort of flipped to forgetting about young people. Everyone sort of changed sides, didn't they? That was what was odd. When it came to defending the Brexit vote, people like you and me were like, old people, you know, there's no, absolutely nothing wrong with them. And then the moment COVID happened, there was this changing of the guard where all the remainery types were like, we've got to protect the old people. And all the Brexit types were like, but what about the young people? It was curious. Maybe we're all massive fucking hypocrites. Yeah, I see your point. Um, yeah, it, it, yeah, it's, it, COVID. Well, yeah, I mean, and, and there's another thing that at the start, the preppers in America, the right wing preppers, were very worried about COVID, 
and the and the Daily Beast and the left wing media were saying play it down, and then it, and then it, it completely switched. It's so strange. Mm. But yeah, someone even on that schools point, someone said to me, I know a few normies in North London, and they're pretty lefty and everything. And one of them said, oh, he's not as left wing as you think. You know, he he was against the uh, school closures for uh, for children. I'm like, hang on, <laughs> that's now a right wing position that you don't think yeah, yeah. your children should be denied. Uh, you know, your comprehensive education. That's weird, isn't well, it? Well, I mean, we, we're going to get to a point where there'll just be a generation of kids that will just not... Know, they'll all not know one letter of the alphabet each. <laughs> and, and, and it'll just be... just we'll have, to, we'll have to cope with them like a constant sort of like... A, sort of like, you know, a constant sort of... You know, the, the asterisk generation, won't they? You know, they'll just... It'll always be COVID, you know. It's all right. He's got a weird twitch and he doesn't know the, the entire alphabet. But, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, they've not been totally socialised. You know, there was a YouGov poll and we had to take action. We had to take action. It's so frustrating. Um, and when you said just quickly about routing people and being a bit cruel about certain victories, did you mean, I know you meant the statues, which is a classic example. You know, it even happens in Star yeah. Wars, like toppled the statue. But um, did, when you, did you also mean, when you said it on gender, did you, did you mean like Matt Walsh being like a bit mean on the internet and things like that? There are a number of examples in, in that sphere where you feel that people that were quieted for a while have taken the opportunity of, of, a, of a change in, in, in the sort of like uh, headwinds. And I think it's just something to be caught. I understand that emotion of feeling like you've had to battle for a long time for something sensible and reasonable to get airtime. But I think it's, you know, it's not just him, but just people across that argument. It's that danger of overcorrection. And again, it, it, it just don't compromise your argument is the main thing. If the argument is the most important thing, don't settle scores. Okay, well, t- typically moderate... Moderate view from Jeff. So you've got a slightly more positive view, Jeff. I know you've got to go, so we'll have to wrap up. But you mm. see, so quite a positive one. You don't think the country's finished. You don't really no. even think we're in a culture war, which is good news. <laughs> well, I think-, think we've been in something that was called a culture war, but I just I, I think that the temperature is, is going back down to a more normal level. It's quite good for me to talk to sort of quite normal people like you occasionally as well. You know, and some of my other friends in comedy like Tonks, who you probably know, he, he's very yeah. optimistic. He doesn't think the country's finished. But people I talk no. to, you know, if I go on the Lotus Eaters podcast or something, everyone thinks the country is definitely finished. You know, like yeah, they're still yeah. trying. But well, they, I mean, that over. is one thing. If, 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 you, if you dine with either side of the culture war, I bet you any money they both think the, con- the country's gone to the dogs. Yeah, I did see an interview with Owen Jones where he's like, none of my things ever happened, none of my policies ever happened, but I keep hoping, like, hang on, none of your stuff ever happened. We're living in your world. Like, to me, we're living in Owen Jones' world, but it's never enough yeah. for him. Mad, isn't yeah. it? But on the other hand, we do, you know, celebrities sometimes have to reluctantly wear poppies on the one show. So there's... There's that there's for balance. The, <laughs> and, I mean, um, that's literally it. That's the only example I could possibly think of, to be honest. Everyone always asks me, Jeff, why doesn't Jeff do GB News? So I have to ask you, would you ever do GB News or would you never do it? Is it beyond the pale? I have done it in the past, but um, yeah, just... I mean, look, I, I've got other... You know what it's like. There's, there's two channels. There's two channels delving. There's two news groups delving in one thing, and some people do more work for one side, and some people do more work for the other. It's that culture war again. It, maybe it's it not is a culture real. war, mate. It's a fucking money war. All right, let, let's. There's News UK, and they make Times Radio, and they make Talk TV, and sometimes. Oh yeah. Um, oh no, that is true. Yeah. If, you, if you, oh yeah, if you if you do talk. No, you... I'm not saying the GB News, word, but just like you go. All right, that's the people. You know that kind of work. That's where I. I tend to I tend to do it. Look, I don't get me wrong. I think GB News is got. I think Headliners uh, is is a brilliant show. There's some shows on that where I sort of go, Oof. but um, but yeah, a lot of it. I think I'm glad that it exists on the news, the news spectrum. All right. Well, you've got to go, Jeff. Thanks so much for your time. People can find you as Jeff at Jeff Norcott. Your actual name on Twitter. 
which shows you're yes. a true player. And you're on tour at the moment, aren't you? Oh, well, the tour starts. So I've got some work in progress dates in the spring that are mostly sold out. Uh, and then the, the main tour starts in September and that's starting to, to sell out. 70 dates, so there's a lot of dates. But, um, but if you want to go to the ones in the big cities, like Leeds, London, Leicester, Loughborough, Lemon, I'll keep going the L's, um, then, do, uh, then do get in there sooner rather than later. All right, and definitely listen, listen to Jeff's podcast, What Most People Think. It's very good. I've been on it twice. And uh, go you have my... to come back soon, mate. You have to yeah, absolutely. Back. Anytime. Always here. Always. And then always... I'll say to you, why you control GB News? That's what I'll <laughs> yeah, do. you can grill me. Yeah, get, you get never prepared. step outside of the GB News worldview, man. <laughs> just, just well, what is it? You, I know how liberal you are in secret, but you just won't admit it. Yeah, you can get me as being controlled opposition for GB. All right. Yeah, we're all controlled in some way, my friend. But it's been it's been a pleasure being on your podcast. Thanks, mate. Well, that was a fun podcast with Jeff. I thought always good to speak to someone moderate like Jeff and funny I mean I think I'm moderate but not everyone does but it's good to speak to someone like Jeff with a very balanced take on things not too hardened into one side of the culture war and he always has an interesting take and I don't normally plug my stuff with the guests there so because they just have to sit there but I'll say now you know obviously follow me Nick Dixon comic on Twitter and my substack nickdixon.substack.com which I've not been posting enough on sorry about that guys I've just been so busy Hopefully soon I will have a bit more time to do Substack and depending on how things go I might go all in on Substack but let's see at very least I'll be posting a bit more and thank you very much for your reviews there was that thinking band Stelling poll one that I read at the start and we liked James but it was just a funny review and thank you to all everyone who's written a review I mean these I'm looking at the Apple podcast and someone here has said interesting podcast Nick Dixon is one of the best podcasters he is interesting witty and always worth listening to that's Frank Landmark thank you Frank and someone says, the most likable guy in podcasting. How about that? That was Octopus in a Garage. Thank you, Octopus. The best review ever has to be from Marissa, who says, love this guy. I mean, it's a great start already. I absolutely love Nick's honest and humorous approach to these conversations. His empathetic personality encourages the guests to feel safe and open up in such a natural way. On top of this, he is a funny guy and I love his comedic lens on life. I highly recommend this podcast. And no, I'm not a family member unless he wants to change that and marry me. Bravo, Nick. So a marriage proposal at the end of a review doesn't get much better than that, guys. So thank you so much for all your reviews. I'm glad people said I was empathetic and honest and things like that because that's, that's what I hopefully am. Not everyone thinks it. Obviously, I've got a lot of haters, but I really appreciate your reviews and that's why I read them out. And so we'll be back again next week with another top guest. Thanks for listening.